0: This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The attacks on education about accurate American history continue to gain steam, particularly with respect to teaching accounts of Black history. Now, a new report by Liberation Ventures focuses on reparations how changing anti-Black narratives and reducing the racial wealth gap are central to the project of reparative work for historical injustices. Joining me now is Aria Florent. She is the co-founder and managing director of Liberation Ventures and the lead author on the report, and Trevor Smith, director of narrative change at Liberation Ventures. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. So first, uh, let me ask uh, Arya for you to begin with explaining um, who Belinda Sutton was. She's the woman who you open your report with. You know, we are in Black History Month and probably still far too many Americans have no idea who she was.
1: That is true. So Belinda Sutton was one of the first people to um, fight for reparations and to win. Um She's just one of many, actually, um, but we opened the report with her because we really wanna, wanted to invoke her spirit and her belief in what this country could be, um, a country that actually really dignifies um, and values the humanity of all people.
0: So uh, how was it that she won reparations? Uh, give us a sense of that history, and then I'd love to take us into the report that you wrote.
1: Yeah. So gosh, I wish that I could give you all of the details, but what I know is that really she Um, submitted a petition, uh, and it was specifically to the Massachusetts General Court. Um, She was enslaved on a plantation um, that was owned by someone named Isaac Royale, um, whose wealth actually ended up becoming part of a donation that went to Harvard Law School. So the wealth that she created now continues to benefit anybody who's associated with Harvard Law School. Um, Many Supreme Court justices, presidents, senate, um public officials etc uh so that happened over time but i think um it's just critical for us to always remember that the ties back to slavery and the ways that we still continue to operate as a society um the past is still very present and visible in them um, if we if we choose to see it
0: Trevor, tell me about the importance of telling stories like that of Belinda Sutton's, not just Black history focusing on its victims, on its, you know, the survivors, um, but actually on those who were able to win change, were able to fight for justice successfully or somewhat successfully at least. Um, wh- why, is it, why is it important to take on narrative?
2: um great question and i think you know you really alluded to it um when you opened up the segment and talking about kind of what's going on right now across the nation um a rising anti-history movement um that is uh really seeing you know uh, and affecting the way that we talk about history in schools and so um i think belinda sutton's story is important because we know that these are the types of stories that they don't want um taught in schools that they don't want children to know Um, And I think that uh, there's, um, you know, a real reason as to why they don't want uh, these these stories told in schools. You know, I think um, there's this idea that reparations are kind of a foreign concept, um, when in reality, you know, Black people, formerly enslaved people, um, had been fighting for and calling for reparations um, from uh, before slavery had even ended. Um, And so those calls came um, well after until today. Um, slavery was ended. And so uh, this idea that reparations is a foreign concept or that it's unattainable um, just really isn't true. And I think Belinda Sutton's story really exemplifies that. And there's, there are other stories in where uh, either individuals or um, Black people collectively have pushed and called for and won um, reparations in some way, shape, or form um, across time.
0: Now, there is a growing movement around reparations nationwide. There's some movement happening federally. There's movement in California, where I am, where there's a a task force set up to study reparations. Various other jurisdictions and cities have considered the idea of reparations. Um, But uh, why is that not enough? Because I think we tend to think of reparations just in terms of financial compensation, and your report suggests that it's much more than that. Arya?
1: Yeah, we we think it's much more than that, Um, in particular, because we believe that the project of reparations is not just about the past, but also about creating a just future. So the way that we think about it is sort of well. And when when we started this work, we asked ourselves, what is repair? What are the components of repair? Um, and that's what this report outlines. We we did a study of global reparative processes a- across, the, across the world and really identified four specific components, reckoning, acknowledgement, accountability, and redress in a continual cycle And we believe that those are the four components that set a frame for what comprehensive reparations um, should mean. So, you know, most people, when they think about reparations, they think about that redress component, and that is a really important component. Um, However, there are also other non-financial components that are more geared toward really actually ensuring that our country understands our past to Trevor's point and commits itself to not repeating the past. Um, and, and, and that I think is also really important because we're still seeing the ways in which chattel slavery is present in the legacy of slavery today. And so part of the, the work of reparations is to actually stop that cycle of harm.
0: You also cover in your report the issue of um, the racial wealth gap as it is today. Um, and so I'm wondering whether you can speak to, first of all, how big that gap is and what it will take to reduce it and why that is a part of or should be a part of the idea of achieving reparations.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I mean, that gap is huge depending on who you are um research you're citing, whether you're using mean or medium, it's, you know, white families essentially have eight to 10 times the wealth of Black families. Um, And our perspective is is also that, you know, that ends up being, it's kind of an upstream factor that then contributes to downstream more negative outcomes. And so part of our thinking, even as we kind of thought through, well, what should reparations achieve, um, was that we identified wealth disparities and the anti-Black narratives as two really strong anchors that end up holding other unjust systems in place. Um, one of my other favorite sort of statistics that shows kind of why the wealth gap is not closing, indeed it's actually increasing, even though we've had a lot more increased attention on it, in particular in the last decade, is that the the primary driver of the wealth gap is intergenerational transfers so mckinsey did a study last year that looked at the disparity in annual wealth flow between white and black families Um, and the drivers of that disparity basically 60 percent is being driven by intergenerational transfer and that's money that's being transferred been being transferred since so this is
0: basically money that um, say wealth, wealthy white folks might leave their children uh, in the form of uh, inheritance or homes, etc or maybe they're paying for their college debt so that their children don't have to go into debt that sort of thing exactly. And uh, families of color, black families can't do that as much Trevor
2: Yes, exactly and I think um, well to You said wealthy white folks and i guess i just want to make clear that um i think the 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 racial wealth gap and specifically the black white wealth gap exemplifies the ways in which um wealth has been passed down and um i think we have this conception of when we think about wealthy we might think about like jeff bezos or bill gates um but you know i think wealth shows up really in the the everyday and the ordinary um, and there are, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of families out there who are not billionaires or or millionaires, but um, were able to kind of live more comfortable lives and pass along that wealth, um, just because of uh, slavery, Jim Crow, and its vestiges. Um, the ways in which Black people have um, been affected by the labor market in the in the everyday, um, you know, th- that shows up as well. I think in the racial wealth gap. Um yeah. And I guess the other thing that I want to touch on is um, something that I find really interesting in this conversation around the racial wealth gap is um, there are ways in which, you know, that reparations is just one component um, or or could be one component. And so one of our partners, um, the New Jersey Institute of Social Justice, I think that they take a really great approach in talking about um, the racial wealth gap and talking about the black-white wealth gap is just an, one aspect of it. Um, and they really take like a holistic approach. And so they talk about reparations um, and the need for reparations, but they also talk about things like baby bonds. They also talk about things like guaranteed income. You know, there are other proposals out there around guaranteed housing, um, things around our tax code, the mortgage interest, mortgage interest deduction. And so I think that reparations is, um, is a notable and laudable policy issue. Um, that I think stands that should and 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 does stand alongside kind of other policy proposals that seek to create um, uh, better equity and uh, you know uh, equality um, wholly
0: now the uh, issue with looking at reparations and even talking about closing the racial wealth gap requires that we acknowledge the scale of historical and current injustices. But if we are currently at a time when um, leaders, uh, conservative leaders in particular, don't even want to teach accurate history, want to ban books that might open people's minds and especially those of young people to the injustices, then how do we lay the groundwork for reparations? Let's talk about what you call in your report, reckoning. Uh, what is reckoning and why is that such an important part of the work of reparations?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I love the fact that you're bringing in the generational question too. So the way we define reckoning is really sort of deeply understanding the issue. And in in this case, deeply understanding the harm that was caused, not only just sort of in an abstract way, but what was it, why was it caused, how was it caused, and to who um, did it impact. Um, and you know, for that, it requires learning. And obviously what we're seeing is that in our, you know, most standard learning institutions, these kinds of topics and issues are being banned. Um, I believe that that's actually happening because we are winning, because we are making progress, actually. Um, you know, we we um, have been doing some research on support for reparations um, across different age groups, and there's about 45% support uh, within the range of 18 to 29-year-olds. Um, and I think that along with so many other social movements that are really helping young people see the our cultural fabric differently um and create a culture, what we would say a culture of repair, a culture of belonging. Um, I think this is why actually we're getting so much backlash from the right. Um, because it is really confronting um the 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 way that they see the world and the way that they would like the world to continue to operate, which is a world in which the powerful really can hoard their power. Um, and so, you know, I think that this is uh th- this is The backlash is telling us that we are actually making, making a dent.
0: I mean, by, by by now, considering how long it's been, where we are today, we, one might have thought we would have been past the reckoning stage, past the acknowledgement stage, and into the stage of accountability. But you're right that, you know, the reckoning still hasn't happened. I mean, that is just such a testament, I, I suppose um the 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 very strong uh narratives couched in racial injustice that persist so if there is reckoning and if there is acknowledgement then naturally there needs to be some accountability for injustices committed and finally your fourth step redress which is reparations, um, or, or, you know, it's a, it's a big word, so I, it can mean lots of things. Trevor, I'm wondering if you can bring us to this point of what it means to acknowledge and have accountability, you know, once there is some sort of reckoning.
2: Yeah, thanks, Sonali. And I mean, I think you're, you're bringing up some really great things. Um, and why I love the framework so much is, because we talk about it actually as a cycle, and so I heard you use the word step, um, but I think the better word and the word that we use is cycle. Mm. And so um, we use that word because all of these things have to happen over and over. So back to the, uh, uh I'll touch on the last one and, and bring it back to to this question. But on um, the reckoning piece, you know, after George Floyd was murdered, brianna Taylor was murdered, Ahmaud Aubrey, the word racial reckoning was you know, thrown around a lot by folks in philanthropy, by the media, um, by non, you know, the general public really adopted this phrase racial reckoning and that we were in a time of racial reckoning. And I think when, you know, almost three years uh, since then, you know, we can sit and reflect and think about why did we use that word? Why Why was that time of racial reckoning and what did that look like? And, you know, I think a, a large reason is because it was the, the largest multiracial Protests against kind of police brutality that the world has ever seen. And so, in a lot of ways, right, I can agree that that was a reckoning. But in a lot of ways, I would also say that it was incomplete. And it's the reason why um, we talk about in a cycle and the reason why we say we need all four of these um, to work together, right? Because one without the other um, is incomplete. And so, I think, in ways um, across the long arc of justice, we have reckoned in some ways uh, with the atrocities of slavery, right, Um, Jim Crow and its vestiges, in some ways we have acknowledged um, the fact that slavery was a bad thing, you know, Mitch McConnell is on the record saying slavery was a bad thing, Um, you know, states have apologized for slavery, but, you know, these, it's patchworks, and we talk about patchworks in our piece uh, with you all on the, with Yes Magazine. Um, we talk about these this idea of patchworks. And so we talk about it in the piece as stories, but I think it can be applied here where um these kind of patchwork policies that could be maybe put in the reckoning bucket or put in the accountability bucket um have not amounted to the kind of full redress and full repair that we know is needed um, to not only close the racial wealth gap, but also um to really, you know, drive out and root out anti-blackness. Um, in all of its forms throughout society, um, so yeah, that we really need all of them, um, and really, in my in my point of view, kind of um, over and over again for generations to come. And so, um, what reparations might look like in this generation um, should be kind of built upon by the next generation.
0: Take us uh, into the discussion of what is Liberation Ventures, your organization. Um, you know, and, and you know how this is the organization that you. Uh, help run and has created this report we're discussing, what is Liberation Ventures? I was just going to say that, you know, one of the
1: questions that we're still holding is like, does this cycle have to start in one of one specific place like reckoning? Um, Or can it start in any of the four components? Um, And, you know, as Trevor mentioned, one of the things that we really found in the research was that the power of this cycle is in the four components together. So it is, they truly sort of make each other real when you have all four. And so the question becomes like, Is it even um, just a cycle or is it that we should be doing all four and kind of shocking the system on all four? Um, These are things that we are really excited to learn from folks who read the report. We actually have a feedback survey in the report that just gives folks the opportunity to share thoughts with us after they read it. Um, So encouraging everyone who's listening to read it and then let us know what you think. I will share, so Liberation Ventures is accelerating the Black-led movement for racial repair in the US. Um, and you know, at the highest level, our work is to build a culture of repair in this country. And so part of the reason why we wanted to write this report was to sort of visibilize, okay, well, repair is a really abstract concept. In order to actually start embedding it into our institutions and in our daily lives, we need to know what its component parts are. Um, so that we can attach real behaviors, initiatives, policies, et cetera, to them um, in order to build that culture. Um, Liberation Ventures is uh, an organization supporting the reparations movement in a few different ways. Uh, First, we provide grants. So we do grant making. We raise and deploy dollars into the movement. The second pillar of our work is our narrative change work, which Trevor runs, which is all about sort of really um, amplifying, building our narrative power as a movement and really framing this issue as the story of our time. Uh, and then our third pillar of work is really supporting the movement's capacity in non-financial ways. And so that means strengthening relationships, building connection to connective tissue, et cetera. So that's our work.
0: Well, I want to thank the two of you so much for joining uh, me today. Where can people find the report we've been discussing? Give out the website?
1: Yes, you can go to our website, liberationventures.org. We'll be live on Tuesday, February 14th. And you can read lots more detail about our approach to the work, our partners, who we are. Uh, you can donate um, and all of the proceeds of donations through our website between now and Juneteenth will go directly to our movement partners.
0: Thank you again, Trevor and Aria. My guests have been uh, Aria Florent, who is co-founder and managing director of Liberation Ventures and lead author of the report on reparations, which I should mention is called A Dream in Our Name. And Trevor Smith he is director of narrative change at Liberation Ventures. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website risingupwithsonali.com by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.